0: Chapter 19 of Radio Boys in the Secret Service This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Radio Boys in the Secret Service by J. W. Duffield The Ice Burglars As they reached the foot of the steps guy heard a noise behind him and turned to behold a new surprise several other men including the professor and carl also were coming down i thought everybody except those rascals was asleep he said to watson not quite replied the operative we were expecting this why didn't you let me in on it well said watson apologetically you're a boy and we thought we'd keep you out of the trouble guy's pride was a little hurt at this inasmuch as glenn who was only two years his senior, had been included in the man class. However, in the last two years, this man-boy had developed in physical proportions that commanded the respect of even the big-framed Watson. Guy counted eight persons, including himself and Watson, and this second party from the Ice Cave. They followed the first party toward the big stairway, moving stealthily and speaking only in whispered tones lest the men ahead discover them. Have you been lying awake all this time? Burton inquired after the last man of the second party had appeared. Yes, replied Watson. I overheard something that gave away the whole plot. What are they planning to do? Take the Eskimos' dogs from them? Yes, and more. They want to feed our two Arctic friends to the fishes and take possession of their cave. And there's going to be a fight, said Guy apprehensively. Perhaps, but maybe it won't be necessary. The Eskimos have been warned, the ice burglars may step into a trap. Ice burglars is good, laughed Glennon. The men ahead were out of sight soon after the other party left the cave. View of them was shut off by a high banister of ice between the lower area and the big stairway. Presently, the Secret Service operative and his followers rounded the end of this banister and could see dimly the forms of the invaders halfway to the top. As rapidly as possible, those in the rear moved up the ascent and down the other side. There was little danger of their being discovered now, so they climbed and descended with all the speed consistent with safety. The men of evil intentions continued their advance, thoughtless of pursuit. They reached the foot of the descent, where their movements were less distinct, as they had arrived at a veritable pocket in the ice with a comparatively narrow opening to seaward. They haven't got any weapons, have they? I inquired. They've got clubs they picked out of the wreckage of the raft and probably every one of them has a pocket knife, Carl replied. See, we've got clubs too. They had their clubs hidden at the foot of the stairs on the other side, Watson explained. There may be a big fight pretty soon. You better get back in the rear, guy, as you haven't any weapon. The latter was no coward, but he could not deny that this was good advice, so he decided to keep in the background but to watch for an opportunity to assist his friends. Watson, however, had planned to avoid a serious encounter. This feature of his plan he had not revealed, as he did not wish any half-hearted assistance. He knew that he could expect his men to act like real soldiers if they enlisted with the expectation of a severe hand-to-hand struggle. Twenty or thirty feet from the lower landing, he halted and held out both hands as a signal for those behind to do likewise. It appeared that the invaders were holding a council of war. Presently, however activity was observed at the entrance of the eskimo cave and watson knew it was time for him to play his trump card guy saw him make a sudden move with his right hand which was followed instantly by an explosion he had fired a pistol in the air the astonishment of the party below although of different character could hardly have been much greater than that of watson's companions immediately after the discharge of the firearm the two eskimos appeared at the entrance of the cave holding the dogs in leash The latter howled fiercely and tugged hard to break loose. Apparently it was all the Greenlanders could do to keep them from the intruders. The latter were dumbfounded. A quick look back and upward and another at the dogs and the two skin-clad figures from the far north were enough to convince each of them that further hostile movements on their part would be dangerous. So they decided on a change of front. Gunset, who had been the leader of this move, took it on himself to explain the situation. Turning to the party on the stairway, he called out in squeak-roar tones, "'What's the matter up there? Have you men turned renegade, and are you fighting against your own race? You ought to be ashamed of yourselves.' "'About the only thing on this iceberg that we're ashamed of is you,' Watson retorted. "'We don't want to waste any time on you, either. Just make a good resolution now, and trot right back to your own dooryard or we'll instruct the Eskimos to let their dogs loose.' We just came over to have a friendly visit with these Eskimos, declared Gunsett, with well-assumed indignation. It's true we were going to ask them for some favors, but everything was to be friendly on our part. I might ask you what you were going to do with those clubs in your hands, but I won't, Brotson retorted. I know already. All right, if you know so much, there's no use arguing with you. But we don't consider that we are responsible to you for any of our actions, Mr. Watson, and what's more, we don't propose to be dictated to by you. But I'll say for the benefit of the others of your party that we brought these clubs to protect ourselves against the dogs if they should become ugly, and it seems the precaution was taken very wisely. Never mind explaining to anybody, but do as I tell you, Watson ordered. I overheard your conversation with Everley and Little. You go back to our side and we'll have a settlement of this matter tomorrow. As for you three sailors, take my advice and don't mix any more than you have to with those other fellows. They're a bad set. The six invaders obeyed solemnly, retiring to the other side of the iceberg and into the cave. They were not forced to give up their clubs, as Watson and the professor wished to avoid any move they might be unable to carry to success without bloodshed. However, the defenders of the Eskimos held a conference outside after the others had disappeared. "'We ought to have a sentinel stationed out here the rest of the night,' Professor Anderson suggested. "'It isn't safe to give those fellows a chance to get the upper hand. There's no telling what they might do.' "'I wonder if the sailors will stick with these rascals after this,' said a Bostonian named Hammond. "'They're a pretty sullen sort, and I don't think you can expect much of civilization in them,' replied Watson." Who were ever and Little, Carl inquired. Do you know anything about them? I hadn't heard their names mentioned before. They're a couple of crooks. Professional gamblers. Ocean card sharks, living on steamers most of the time, playing with rich, easy marks. Is Gunset a crook? asked Guy. Sure. He's one of the worst. Plays for big game, but not much with cards. Guy would have liked to inquire further regarding the man with the changeable voice, but decided that it was not best to do so at present. He concluded it was best to wait for an opportunity to speak alone with Watson on the matter. "'We've got to do something to protect the women here,' observed the professor presently. two of them are ill already, and some of us men are going to prove weaker than the others pretty soon. "'We mustn't let the strong override the weak, and we've got to conserve our resources.' "'Let's call a meeting in the morning and discuss the situation,' Watson proposed. "'I would suggest that nothing be said at that meeting about what occurred tonight. "'Those rascals ought to be watched, but we must not do anything to divide us into two hostile factions. "'We'll appeal to the men, as men, and ask for a vote on any proposed measure.' "'That's a good idea,' commanded Professor Anderson. "'But the immediate question is, who is going to do sentinel duty from now until daybreak?' Watson continued." I'm willing to, for one. Who will stay out here with me to keep me from getting lonesome? I will, Guy volunteered eagerly. Nobody objected to his usurping the privilege, and so it was thus agreed. The other men accordingly re-entered the cave, while Guy and Watson began to pace up and down the area to keep warm. The boy had several reasons for wishing to watch with his interesting friend. The episode just closed to put a new complexion on affairs. He wished to have a long talk with Watson. He had numerous questions to ask. Moreover, he felt that he would not be able to sleep now, and he believed that he could pass a more comfortable night pacing the ice with someone who could converse sympathetically with him. "'Mr. Watson,' he began, "'I'd like to ask you some questions.' "'Fire away,' replied the other sentinel. "'What's on your mind?' I don't know just how to open it, but I guess I may as well be blunt. The truth is, you're a mystery to me. A few days ago, you know, I thought you were a bad egg, but I've had good reason to change my mind. Still, you're a mystery, and you'll continue to be one until you've told me who you are. You'll have to explain what you mean, replied Watson quizzically. There are many ways I might tell you who I am. I might begin by telling you my name, but you know that already, don't you? I don't know. Why not? Because you haven't assured me that Watson is your right name. Is it? No. So far, so good. Now, am I too inquisitive if I ask you what your business is? I'm what is commonly known as a detective, but my more dignified title is secret service operative. I thought so. End of chapter 19